Thank you, Nancy. What a simple and straightforward scripture reading. I appreciate that this morning. Hello, everyone. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at the First United Methodist Church of Fort Worth. And we're in a season right now called Lent, the 40 days, not including Sundays that precede Easter. And Lent is a time of focusing on our deep need for Christ, our need for God present with us, our need for the resurrection and good news work in our lives. And one of the ways that we do that is focusing on some of the scripture readings that may be hard to read at first. But when we really dig into them and open them up, we can see beautiful things and messages of hope within them. We've represented that over over the course of this sermon series with these altar designs that take things like thistles and dandelions, but when viewed in certain ways and with the right appreciation, you can see how beautiful they really are. And that's what Lent has been about, and we're concluding that this Sunday. Next Sunday begins Holy Week, the most sacred and special time in the life of the Christian community around the world, and I can't wait to celebrate it with you, but I have a few things I'd like to share. One of the things that was true in my life for a long time is that I would go to church only on Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday was fine, and it was great, and it was resurrection, and it was happy, but it didn't mean a whole bunch to me. And one of the things that was true until it changed was that I only experienced Easter as something simple because I didn't go through the entire journey of Holy Week. Because if you just go from Palm Sunday and Hosanna and Jesus has entered Jerusalem and then you go to He is risen, hallelujah, you've missed a little bit of the story. So I want to make sure that you know about the worship that's taking place in our church over the course of Holy Week. Monday Thursday is all about celebrating the Last Supper, that last community time together. So key to Jesus' ministry was sharing time and table fellowship together. And so we're going to be doing that with a potluck in our uh, Wesley Hall. Um, traditional potluck rules apply. We're going to trust in the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're bringing, that's what we're eating. But I want to warn you right now, Jim Ketching makes a mean banana pudding, so you probably don't want to be up against it. If you've never been to a potluck before, just go to Chick-fil-A, get the big party tray of nuggets. You'll be the most popular person there. Then we're going to have communion together at our tables, that family connection. And the next thing is, is Good Friday worship. And if you've never been a part of Good Friday worship, you need to be. Good Friday worship is powerful and heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. And it's only until you really look at the reality of the cross that the good news of the resurrection can begin to change your life. And so if you haven't made that journey before, I invite you to do so this year. I also want to point out, like was mentioned in our announcements, that we have an additional service. We'll have the 11 o'clock traditional service in here and the 9.30 gathering service in here. We'll also have an 8 o'clock service. And I want to request that if you are a regular attender of worship here at FUMC Fort Worth, that you come to the 8 o'clock service. And I know that's not your preferred time because it's nobody's preferred time because we never have service at 8 o'clock. The reason I ask is that our church will be home to thousands of people on Easter Sunday, many of whom have never given this church a chance before, many of whom have never given Christ a chance before. And by worshiping at 8 o'clock, what you do is free up space. You free up space so that people who are stepping out of their comfort zone for the first time and are one full parking lot away from just going to get brunch instead— you make it possible for them to encounter worship. And so if that's you, I invite you to live sacrificially and attend worship at 8 o'clock. And I promise you'll be first in line for bacon and eggs when you're done. So I want to invite you to, uh, to consider that. So 
I want to talk about today's scripture reading. It's a very tough scripture reading, and it's so full, it can be uh, preached on week after week after week, and there's one particular thing I want to focus on in this scripture reading, so I'm not going to be treating all of it. I want to focus on one element of it in particular, and it relates and reminds me of a conversation I've had with some friends who happen to be university professors. A couple of my friends, smarter than myself, have found themselves teaching university classes. I was talking to a couple of these friends, and independent of each other, months apart, they both got on the subject of what is most difficult about teaching their undergraduate students. What is the biggest complaint they have about teaching their undergraduate students? So just stop and imagine, you know, with all the stereotypes of people who are currently between the ages of 18 and 22, what would you imagine this stereotype is that is the biggest obstacle for those professors actually teaching their students? And what both of these people told me, who are in vastly different parts of the country and teach in very different fields, they both said the biggest problem they have in teaching their students is that their students are obsessed with their grades. More than anything else, they just want to get an A. They want to get an A, more than they actually want to learn the material. And those may sound like mutually exclusive things, right? But when you're focused exclusively on getting the grade, and when your biggest priority is getting the A, the conversation immediately becomes, what's the minimum number of things I need to get right in order to get the A? And what's the maximum number of things that I can get wrong? I just want to get the A, and then I can move on. And you may think, Lance, it's impossible to get an A, or maybe even to get an A over and over and over again, but not actually master the source material. And to counter that, I would like to introduce you to a man named Lance Marshall, <laughs> who has managed to receive A, A's in multiple high school and college language, or college level Spanish classes. Muchos A's. <laughs> and today, no Espanol. <laughs> I am so good at getting A's in Spanish classes without being able to speak Spanish. Scientists should really study me. It's a remarkable feat of the human brain. And that's because every time I've been in a Spanish class, and it's been a lot, I have figured out what is the minimum number of things I need to get right, what's the maximum number of things that I can get wrong, so I can go to this moment of examination, get my A, and move on. Does that resonate with anybody else here? You can get so focused on just passing the test that you can completely fail to actually learn what the entire time of teaching was about. It's the number one thing those professors are lifting up. If I was the kind of person who actually wanted to speak Spanish, who actually wanted to become the kind of person who could speak Spanish fluently, what I should have done is what my teachers were inviting me to do. Put myself out there. Go into uncomfortable places. Begin to initiate conversations in situations where I had to rely on my ability to speak Spanish. 
Go outside of my comfort zone. And in doing so, be willing to fail a little bit. Maybe even be embarrassed a little bit. Certainly put myself in a situation where I wasn't sure that I was going to succeed. But if I lived that way over and over and over again with hope and focus and trust, then I would absolutely be transformed into the kind of person that had that ability. But I was just focused on what do I need to do to pass the test so I can go on. A reason I'm bringing that up is because today's scripture reading has an image in it of a judgment, of a test, of a separation into sheep, into goats. And I'm afraid that when we, people who have been formed in the exact same education system, people who, fam- who face the exact same pressure to get A's and good grades, hear a piece of scripture like this, it immediately brings us back to that place where we start to ask the question, okay, what do I need to do to pass the test? What's the minimum number of things I need to do to pass the test? What's the maximum number of things that I can get wrong in order to pass this test? What's the minimum number of naked people that I need to bring draws to? What's the maximum number of hungry people that I can avoid so that I'm in the sheep line? How can I pass the test? And I'm afraid if we take that, what do I need to do to get past this moment perspective and lens into this scripture, we miss the entire point of what Jesus is trying to talk about. I mean, let me ask you, has Jesus' entire ministry been saying, hey, something really bad is going to happen to you unless you pass this one test in the right way? Has that been the sum total of his teaching? No. Has that been the sum total of his message? No. Is that what he said over and over again when he spoke to crowds? You better watch out. You better be careful. You better not mess up too much. Is that what he's saying? If we're going to hear this text and begin to understand what Jesus is trying to teach us, we need to remember who Jesus is and what Jesus wants. Remember, Jesus is not a charismatic 30-year-old wandering the hill country of ancient Palestine 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the Word of God. In the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God and everything that came into being came into being through the Word. Jesus is co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit and it's His love that makes living even possible, let alone worthwhile. He's been apart from the beginning of God nurturing a creation to grow and to develop so that it's capable of loving God in return. Along with the Father, Jesus has been a part of prophetic traditions reaching out to communities over and over and over again saying, this is who I am and this is what I want. You are made for worshiping God, for putting God first, for connecting with the God who made you, who is love. And the natural and only reasonable outcome of that transformative love is that you show it to others through mercy. The key to all of this is mercy. And then Jesus himself, the Word made flesh, comes alongside us, not to threaten us with stories of exclusion, but to include us into the work that God is doing 
to proclaim first and forever that God's kingdom is at hand. That this way of life where mercy rules and justice reigns is the way that the world will be forever. And no matter who you are or what you've done, you're included in it. Because he is merciful. And God is merciful. And that mercy bridges whatever gap exists between you and the one who gives it to you. That's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus wants. And that's what he proclaims over and over and over again when he heals people suffering from injuries to the flesh or to the body. When he includes people who've been told their entire life that they're not worthy. When he invites in outsiders or people who've been told that they don't belong over and over again. It's to connect them to the love of God and to show them mercy so that they can show mercy to others in return. And he also says, over and over and over again, that you are free. That you are free. That you have a choice. Because built into the very fabric of your existence is God's desire that you love God. God knows you in the pews today. God knows you watching online today. God knows you catching up on a podcast later on. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. God made you so that you could love God in return. God saves you from anything that could separate you from God. That's why you're here and you are free over and over again to reject God. Because you can't force somebody to love you. And God does not force you. God showers you with mercy, undeserved mercy, unearned mercy. Mercy so good, we can only call it grace. And experiencing it is so powerful, we can only call it salvation. And God invites you to build that life that not only lives here on earth, but extends on the other side of the grave into eternity. God gives that to you. And God gives you the freedom to reject every single bit of it. And God gives you the freedom to make hell on earth for you and for others. God loves you enough to let you be free. That's your life, Jesus says. What are you going to do with it? This message that Jesus is giving is not about sorting out the good from the bad. It's not actually about a last judgment at all. It's about Lance trying to learn Spanish. Did you get that part? Was it in your Bible? It was in my Bible. <laughs> Did you get that part? Jesus is talking to a bunch of people He's delivering this scripture to a specific audience. I don't know if you realize that. It's one of the reasons why I'm always asking you to physically hold a Bible in your hands when we encounter these scriptures in church. Newsflash, I know they're on the screen. I want you to have a Bible in your hands because I want you to see what comes before and what comes after. This is the last teaching that Jesus gives before the beginning of his arrest and his crucifixion and his death. And the audience for this text are people who've spent their entire lives studying the law. 
They spent their entire lives trying to pass the test. They spent their entire lives trying to figure out, okay, what is it I need to do to make God happy? What's the minimum number of sacrifices that I need to do to get it right? What's the maximum number of sins that I can commit before I'm in trouble? They spent their entire lives trying to pass the test, and in doing so, they've missed the entire point. What Jesus is telling everyone is that the point is not trying to pass the X and the O's. The point is to receive the mercy and to be so transformed and so set free that you begin to show mercy to others, to people who don't deserve it, to people who haven't earned it, to people who are not only in need but have done absolutely nothing to or for you to deserve what it is that you're giving to them. Jesus is asking you to put yourself out there He's asking you to step into uncomfortable places. He's inviting you to trust and in doing so, maybe get it wrong every once in a while. Because that's how you move from being the kind of person who can pass the test to the kind of person who was actually changed. This story isn't a story about the people who got all the rules right. This story is about what happens when you trust enough to follow. And when you risk and when you try and when you put yourself out there, you're not doing it by yourself because in the face of every single person who's receiving mercy from you is the face of Christ himself. Christ hasn't given up on anybody. Anybody in that story, he's not given up on them and he's not giving up on you ever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, stories like this send us back to a place where we worry about passing a test. Lord, what do we need to get right? What do we need to fear getting wrong? Jesus, this puts us back in an uncomfortable mindset. Help us to rest on how we've heard over and over again through your word that you are merciful, that you are just, that you are good, and God, we open our hearts to your mercy lit again. God, as we receive your mercy, let us do so not for our own security, for our own comfort, or for our own assurance. Lord, let us do it so that we can be free to be merciful to others. God, it's in your name. It's in your presence. It's in your work through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we trust now and every day. And it's in his name that we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.